Do you think UFOs, the paranormal, weird history, cryptozoology, and outsider art are pretty darn cool? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to High Strangeness with your host, Steve Berg. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of High Strangeness. Tonight, I have my good buddy on... Bryce Johnson, and you may know him from things such as Oppenheimer, Magna P.I., Willow Creek, Pretty Little Liars, and I could go on all damn day. This guy's got a resume the size of 25 arms. He is also part of the cast of Expedition Bigfoot and one of the fantastic hosts of my favorite podcast of all time, the Bigfoot Collectors Club. So everyone, please welcome my friend and yours, Bryce Johnson. Bryce, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, man, what's up, Steve? Uh, what's going on, High Strangeness audience? Oh, my God, thank you for that incredible intro, man. Oh, buddy, you you earned it. You earned it. And Bryce, <laughs> it, it's, such a, it's such a treat to have you on. And I kind of want to take advantage of a situation because it's not all the time I get to have a fellow actor, a fellow thespian on. Mm. And I kind of want just, just want to explain to people who maybe are on the inside like we are. Yes, of And course. that kind of, what I'm getting at is, I think you know what I'm getting at, and that is when you start booking your first couple TV jobs, your first movie jobs, mm-hmm. what people don't realize is, is that you are taken, once you're they wrap you for the day, they call cut, you're done, you shake everyone's hands, say, thanks for hiring me, it was so fun to work with you. They take you into a little skiff, and they tell you a couple things, mm, such as they do. what UFOs represent. They yeah. tell you that Bigfoot is an uh, interloper from the moon of Europa. They also tell you who killed Candy and other things. I just yeah. want to say, what was that experience like for you? Well, it was incredible because, Steve, this is a leftover from the Robertson panel, you know, using multimedia yep. platforms yep. to engage in disinformation. So, of course, this was just yep. uh, another day on the job site. But, yes, of course, after work, you know, if they like you and, and you know, how can they not? Of course, guys like us, they pull you aside <laughs> and they're like, look, hey. You know, we we went over some pretty interesting topics in tonight's episode, some strange stuff. It's all true, uh, except <laughs> that one thing. And uh, we're going to let you know about that later if uh, if you don't fuck up, uh, which means, yeah. you know, let the cat out of the bag, which I think you just did, Steve. So uh, I don't know, man, you may want to, uh, you know, just watch who's coming to your door in the next week or two. You might get a visit by yeah, a, you're right. a strange fedora. <laughs> <laughs> get a poison dart in my neck <laughs> that's, that's how right. i want to go out anyways <laughs> oh people we kid we kid we're not part of the illuminati okay i wish i wish i would love to no. be let in no uh, you know funny enough actually it, it when i god i was lucky enough to book a role on on oppenheimer and you know, I played an Army Air Force officer of the 509th Bomb Group now, which is the only atomic bomb group in the nation at that time. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure Christopher Nolan uh, did his research and might have known, but there was the, the Roswell yep. crash, which supposedly happened a few years after in the New Mexican desert. Yep. Um, you know, it was the 509th Bomb Group that was tasked with picking up those malleable metallic pieces. So they're intricately linked into the dissemination of the first atomic bombs, fat boy and slim, and as well as picking up the most famous crash of all time. So it was a nice little Easter egg for me. And I wanted to sort of share that with Chris, but all I got out of my mouth was 
thank you for the opportunity. And he was on his way into, in a helicopter, you know, shooting over the Los Alamos labs. And I was like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but it was incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, I have to assume that playing that character kind of gives you some sort of top top secret clearance. Yeah, absolutely. Really I mean, you know, uh, of course, because this was this group was uh, essentially assigned with handling the materials. So, I mean, mm -hmm. they had they had clearance access, and they were of the highest caliber of of military men yeah. and women. So, uh, so you know, when you get those reports back from these. Uh, these ex-members of this bomb group who said, man, we put something in a crate that I've never seen before. You have to you have to sort of uh, your ears perk up a little bit and go, oh, my gosh, well, that's that's pretty interesting, you know, because there's a lot of stuff like that that came out of the Roswell case, a plethora of eyewitnesses, you know, yeah. and these are military oh, yeah. men and women. So uh, there's a lot of meat yeah, on that. They bomb. Have little tiny coffins and yeah, mil little tiny know, coffins. The military will. Yes, and the military's not going to lie to us. They're not going to disinform us. I mean, right. get, out, get out of town, people. Quit being yeah. so paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, oh, oh, we kid. We have fun. That's what we do on this show. We have a good time. Bryce, yes. I got to say, I was doing a little bit of a cyber stalking the other night. Great. And I learned something that I didn't know, and that is you spent some of your formative years in the great state of Colorado. I did. I was. I essentially grew up in Denver. You know, I was born in Reno. And then my parents divorced when I was very young. My mother and my two brothers moved out to Denver where I spent my schooling years. And then I would go back and forth from oh. Reno to Denver during the summers. But yeah, I grew up in Denver and uh, what, it was a great place to grow up. Oh, yeah. I mean, Denver is one of these wonderful, big American cities that it's gorgeous. And it kind of has all the amenities of, I mean, it basically has everything L.A. does or New York, yeah. does, you know, to a certain extent. But if you drive 20 minutes outside of the city, you're in this, the jagged Rocky mountains where anything is possible. And what that must've been so such a fun playground to grow up in. You know, funny enough, I, 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 I kind of grew up in a suburban lifestyle. I basically grew up in Denver and never once went skiing. I went snowboarding once right. with my high school buddy who, who was like trying to teach me. And he's like, this kid's too slow. See you, dude. And he's like, I'm not wasting my day at the park on you. And so I just was on my ass the entire day. But, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time um you know, uh, gallivanting through the woods, you know, um, it wasn't until, mm -hmm. my, but I always held a deep love and, uh, and just like, God, I feel at home in nature. It's such a strange, I think a lot of people uh -huh. do. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. And I know we have some, uh, you know, but my family is actually from Sioux city, the area in Iowa. Uh, my mother and dad yeah, was born which there. Is a hop my grandparents. Skip for me. Yeah. Which is just a hop skipping away from Omaha. And in fact, you have to fly into Omaha uh, to get to Sioux City, but uh, shout out to the well, Midwest. First off, I, I would just love to offer. Let's say you you're flying in to see Ma, but it's a late flight. You get in, you're like, oh, I don't want to like do the drive. You come and crash at old Stevo's house. Oh, done. I'll make you a nice. Done. I'll make you a nice Asian noodle dish. Spicy, oh, great. Not too spicy. <laughs> savory. We'll knock a couple back and share a couple war stories. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm being completely genuine. You you yeah. always have a little uh, a crash place here in Omaha, my friend. Hang up the phone. You've sold me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So what? Like, were were there any kind of you know weird legends or Colorado centric, mm. high strangeness paranormal stuff that you kind of found intriguing when you were growing up? 
Well, you know, uh, I wasn't so familiar with the local uh, mythology and lore of, of any sort of cryptids or, or local haunts, but something incredible did happen to me in Denver when I was young. I had an experience oh. when I was a boy uh, with an entity uh, that was just outside of my bed- bedroom window. Um, you know, I, I talk okay. about this on our very first episode, Origins, it, on our Bigfoot Collectors Club, because uh, it's something our co-host, Michael McMillan, who you've had on this show, share in common. We both yeah. sort of had strange experiences. But so I was I was probably but also around through four, a window, too. Yeah, which is uh, which he a lot of people think windows and mirrors are portals, you know. Um, but uh, so I was about five years old and my older brother was on a bunk bed above me <clears throat> and I was fast asleep. Oh, I should set this up. Well, you know, we had just moved uh-huh. to this house with my mother and and uh, and we were out. I was outside playing and some new kids from the neighborhood had come over and coalesced on our driveway. And and I they brought something and it was either a game or I don't quite remember. But my mom came over and she sort of saw what it was and and what we were doing. And she didn't like it. And she was like, you guys need to leave. I don't like this. I don't want you playing this at my house. You know, Uh, she's not a super religious woman, but she's raised Lutheran. And so looking back, I was wondering if it was a Ouija board or Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not really sure. I was so young, you know, but that night I had a visitor and it was around three in the morning. And I just I woke up from a deep sleep and out of my window, just profile enters saunters in this red glowing f- demon it looked the devil it looked like a devil like a cartoon <laughs> devil uh if you've seen jacques valet's book hold on um yes a, the passport to begonia one yes which, yes the, where the the alien wears the masks yes. which you know funny yes. enough they just released a 50th anniversary and they expanded on the image and now under the yeah. alien we find that the alien is a puppet holding little puppets Dude. of a fairy uh of a of a of a other th- a goblin and a devil uh hinting yep. at even a, a, a one sort of hand that is playing all this phenomena which we've been talking about Anyway, I get off yeah, the topic. We'll come back. We'll come back to that. But yes, Jermaine. So this was yeah. almost like a comic comic book devil. Like I, I described it as there's a ham out there called a deviled tuna, ha- deviled ham, and it's got a little logo of a devil. But it had the horns. And it, anyway, so it stopped. It just stopped, and then it turned into me, and it had these yellow glowing eyes, and it just peered into my soul, Steve, and and then it just turned again, and then and then just sauntered off. Now look. I was young. It could have been a kid in a mask. It could have been something, but I had the distinct feeling that this was otherworldly, supernatural, and it and it affected me. It, it there was a, a transpersonalization. There was a something going yeah. taking place because after that, of course, I was sent on a journey to in, to find out what the fuck that was. And so uh, I was at the library the next day looking up ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs and lo- and I just sent me on a path to. Uh, to always have this curiosity for the strange and this love for the paranormal. And I've been on a quest to sort of unpack it and figure out that experience uh, to this day forward. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I mean, like it almost feels like, I mean, the way you were talking about it, I don't want to label it, you know, myself, but like, it feels kind of like that initiatory experience. Oh my God. Yeah, well, you you that's such a uh that's the word, man. That's a powerful word and you struck on it because initiatory is exactly what it is. And I've had other experiences in my life that sort of regale that initiatory 
uh, motif in such a profound way. And uh, I, I think you, I think you hit it right on the head, Steve. I think for a lot of people, these are, well, cause I think a lot of this stuff is about, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think a lot of it Don't is about person, personal transformation and, uh, and, and the initiatory experience is, is the first thing that takes place in that. So, um, so yeah, it, it was an initiation because it's, it's changed my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, clearly, clearly that, that is, can I, do you mind if I ask a couple just questions? Cause I'd love to, um, no, not at all. I love to ask like little follow-ups because you, you mentioned that your parents, uh, divorced when you were pretty young. Was this around that time? Oh God, I have a, I have no doubt that trauma played a profound effect on my psyche at that, at that tender age. You know, I've, I've often talked about too, sort of this, this framework of how my dad was a staunch atheist and my mother was sort of this right. devout Lutheran. So I would go to the summer Reno in the summers and my dad would just uh, sort of deprogram me from all the the religiosity that the schools were teaching. He's like, what are they teaching you over there? Yeah. And I'd be like, well, this and that. And he'd be like, come on, you really <laughs> believe that stuff? You know, and I would go back to Denver and I would and I would get back, you know, into into that programming. And, and, and I remember I had this um, when I was young, I remember going to my father and, and and my heart was breaking because I truly believed in heaven and hell in a literal sense, you know, because I was taught to believe that. And so I had this, sure. this horrifying visage nightmare of my father burning in hell and I couldn't take it. And I remember confronting him, you know, one summer when I was just maybe five or six. And I just, I said, I, you have to believe, I just, I don't want you to go to hell. And, and he kind of like stopped joking for a second. And he said, he said, Bryce and he sat me on his lap and he said he said if I was God would you send me to hell and I and I had to just stop and I and I went no and it clicked for me and I went something happened there I think what happened yeah. was I took back the power of well for first of all it was an imagination experiment a thought experiment as as Einstein used to like mm -hmm. to call him but it was like it let me go what if i was god well i certainly wouldn't send my dad whom i love to like burn in everlasting hellfire no fucking way <laughs> so i was like i'm off i'm off board with this script and so i sort of like it rechanged my programming and i i sort of jumped on the atheist bandwagon with my dad cuz i felt you know uh, in arms with him but yeah. later I would do a full you gotta 180. You got to take sides at that age, yeah. Yeah, no, but you know, later I would come a full 180 and I I, I live a, what I like to think a very spiritual life and, you know, religion aside. Mm. But uh, so it was sort of that type of framework that made me, I was constantly interested in, you know, what's reality? Like, is this God stuff real? Like what are ghosts? Who was in my bedroom window? And what the fuck is that <laughs> yeah. big hairy monster doing walking across the sandbar <laughs> in 1967? That's not supposed to exist. What, what's he doing there? Right. What's she doing there? Right. Uh, right. The world <laughs> so, is a lot more complex than anyone's telling me. What's, yeah. What gives man? That's right. That's, that's right. So that's incredible. Well, I mean, I, 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 you know, like, I didn't have that experience as a young kid, but I feel like kind of these initiatory experiences like the one you, you described. Mm. I mean, like, I mean, I, I think many people could, you know, um, characterize it as a negative experience, but it, it seemed like obviously it troubled you, traumatized you or and like made you think, but like zooming out and like looking back on it, it seemed like in a way it, it was so profound that 
it kind of led you to this very moment right now in a lot of ways, maybe, I don't know, maybe you would have found interest in all this weird stuff without it, but you know, well, I dare you to find an initiatory experience where where the stakes aren't high. An initiatory experience that isn't valid. And, and you know, death right. is at stake in the initiatory experience. It may be theatrical, but my God, your life is on the line. And that's no joke, you know. So you're playing with metaphor there. Let me give you an example. I'm kind of all over the place. You know, I talked about this no. on, my, on my podcast, but I had... Uh, what I would deem a, a spontaneous spiritual awakening. It was something that I didn't plan. It happened uh, in 2008. Um, and I talk about it on the podcast in more length, but um, spontaneous is a great word because I wasn't prepared for it and it completely obliterated right. my life and my framework. And and so that as well was an initiatory experience, one that I didn't sort of wasn't prepared for, uh, but yet there it was. And um and the danger was real there too, because you feel like you're 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 get you're taking a break from reality, like you 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 know you're losing your mind. Or so you 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 know uh, this. I guess what I'm trying to say is these encounters, you know, it always feels like life or death, you know, because this is when you're mm-hmm. in confronting the unknown, you know, you go back to that basic primary wiring of of fight or flight. Uh, what's happening? I can't compute this, right? what what and then you who knows something happens within the the psyche the consciousness that uh that interplays with the encounter right i believe uh so um so yeah i i think this stuff is about personal transformation and and the initiatory experience comes right along with it it has to uh otherwise you know you can't leave that husk of your old self behind Right. Oh, wow. Well put. I love that. I'm stealing that. The husk of your <laughs> nice. old self behind. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm going to, because I, 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 you know, and I don't know if anyone else listening to this is that interested, but since, you know, uh, you and I kind of had the same uh, career trajectory, like mm. I'm always interested in how people, you know, end up moving to LA to go, uh, you know, go gold mining, you know? Right. <laughs> so, yes, totally. Like of a better term. Like, you know, how, how did you, how did you kind of like, because when you move to LA, you're basically like, well, I'm going to give up that safe life that I could probably have, you know, that sales yeah. job with a 401k and like, who knows what the hell is going to happen. And when yeah. you move out, you never just kind of think to yourself like, well, I'll try it for six months. You're like, no, I'm doing this. This is my life. So how did that come about for you? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was in high school, I was really sort of floundering. I was a class clown and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't respond too kindly to a lot of schoolwork, you know, but it was when my older brother, uh, who, who was a closeted homosexual at the time. Uh, and I didn't know that, uh, he was in, uh, he was doing a play and it was South Pacific. And at that time we weren't getting along because we had different interests and we weren't communicating. And I saw him up on that stage and he was a different person. He was like, he was like this whole other, I saw this other side to my brother I had never seen before. And he had these lights in his eyes and he was like singing and dancing. Who the fuck is this? Right. And I was like, and I was like, oh my God. I was like, wait a minute. That's what I want to do. I want. I was like, I want to do that. And I was like, maybe I can do that. If my brother's doing that, 
who was like quiet and depressed and, you know, well, no wonder he was because right. he hadn't come out yet, you know, but, uh, but that was the aha moment for me uh, because before that I was going to join the Navy, which, uh, you know, I love the military and people who serve in the military, but it wasn't going to be for me. Right. Um, so that was the moment. And then, right. you know, uh, unfortunately, so I would plan to come out to LA now when I was a junior in high school, my, my, um, my mom's husband, Patrick, suddenly died in a car crash, just like miles away oh, from our home, going to the grocery store. Oh. So it just completely uprooted our lives. And and so I said, well, instead of just me going to L.A. right now, you know, let me help you go back to Iowa with my younger brother because she wanted to move back closer to home, be with family. And so we did that. And so right. we, I took the two years to go to Iowa and help them move there. And then. And then I found an audition for the Academy of Dramatic Arts. And then my mom was like, thank you. You've, you've grounded us here. You can go now, little birdie, fly away. And then, and then I, you know, yeah. uh, came, I oh, came to L.A. Sweet. with a burn the ships attitude of like, I'm never going back. I want to I'm going into these dark woods and I'm not coming back until I have the gold, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's how you, that's the only attitude you can have, because if you go in with like, one foot in, one foot out. Like, I'll try this out, but I have a safety job back home or something like that. Oh my! I don't God. think it works that way. I think I would have quit so many times ago. Years, if that was, yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, the first five years, unless like I, I talked to Michael, he was one of those rare people who just started booking right away, and mm. maybe you did, but for the first five no. years, I was just like pounding the comedy yep. clubs and like poor as poor could possibly mm. be like yeah you know, living in flop houses with, like four other weird dudes <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yes but yes i loved it those are actually my favorite my favorite years out there you know and Mine that too. was kind of my i suppose like that is how i feel like when i became a real adult is when i was like out there my dad was like well good luck i'm like can i borrow some money he's like nope <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah like, totally but well and that was the funnest so too when, you when know you, when you Oh yeah, it's great. It's I mean, it's how you find yourself, you know, and find like what you're made of. But so you came out to LA and joined the academy, uh, and that is in Pasadena, right? Is that a Pasadena mm. school? Yeah, it was in Pasadena. They've since moved to Melrose, but yeah, like yourself, I spent three years okay. beating the streets and waiting tables and doing sales jobs, and oh, oh god, the sales jobs were awful. They just crushed my soul. Horrible. But fi I finally got a, a, a break and. And then, you know, I, I've been uh, thankful enough to work for the, you know, ever since. And it's come close to me having to, like, call it quits. But I would never do I Even if I oh, did, yeah. I, I wouldn't. Because, like you and I said, which is where else am I going to go? But strangely enough, it was a film in 2010 um, uh, by Bobcat Goldthwait. He called me one day and he was like, Hell, he had done a... Well, I was going to yeah. bring that up. Oh, okay, perfect. Well, this, this, this is I mean, how... I love, I love this movie so much. Oh, yeah. Well, this is how film and television sort of segued my life into the strange and into the paranormal because so I had done a, a film previously with Bobcat called Sleeping Dogs Lie, and we just got along fantastically. And he called me out of the blue one day and he said, uh, you know, I'm thinking about getting into the found footage space by doing a Bigfoot horror found footage movie. Are you interested? And I said, Bobcat you fucking called the right guy. Like you have no idea. I love yeah. Bigfoot. And he said, great, yeah. you know? And Hell so yes. we embarked, we embarked on this journey to create Willow Creek, this found footage, Bigfoot horror film. And, and we did, and, and I loved it. And, and, you know, thank gosh, the, the fans responded. And, and, and it was later that I got a call from a friend of mine who's in, in the entertainment business. He runs rail splitter pictures. And he said, you know, 
there's a company they're looking to get into the Bigfoot space, Bryce. This was the Travel Channel. And he said, you know, they're looking uh, for, for people to, you know, maybe host a new Bigfoot show. Can I throw your name in the ring? And I said, God, please, yes. And so that was yes. sort of started my, well, and I, I, you know, I jumped ahead because uh, two years before that, I met Michael McMillan on set of, uh, of Major Crimes and he had just seen Willow Creek and he said, hey man, I loved Willow Creek. He said, do you really believe in that stuff? And I said, yeah. yeah. And he goes, great, me too. And I go, what? And, uh, and that started uh, just an instant bond. And, and Michael and I started the Bigfoot Collectors Club podcast where we could start talking about the strange. And this was in the 2017 October, just months before that December 17th New York Times article broke about glowing auras and black Pentagon money that where the New York, uh, where the UFO and UAP thing exploded onto the mainstream uh, scene. Right. So we were right at, right there at the beginning of it. And um, and so when, when my friend Tim from Rail Splitter uh, you know, now said, oh, well, you've got, he's got this Bigfoot movie and he's got this Bigfoot podcast. Maybe he'd be right for Expedition Bigfoot. And I said, of course. Hell yeah. And, and so that was it. And we put together a team of, uh, of scientists and researchers and, and, uh, and away we went. Good God, that is a beautiful story. Uh, I was, I'm so, thank you for sharing the origin. I can't believe that just like came about on like, a I mean, like one thing led to another, a call from Bobcat. Yeah. First off, yeah. I just, before we move past this, I want to say I love Willow Creek. I think oh, it is. Oh, thank you. So, I mean, I, I love all Bobcat's work, but I think that movie is so wonderful. And he does, he, he's, he's a great artist, period. A, a great comedian, a great director. But like, he really did that movie justice and did the documentary found footage style better than I, I think there's two movies that executed it perfectly and i think it's blair witch and willow creek oh man thank you so and much i think all I, the other I, ones I, fall I so far down oh below. man well thank you so much you know i think what makes willow creek work is the believability of of alexi and i's character and and you know i think yeah. the reason bobcat called Alexi and me is because we are we're not we're not sort of high flutin actors in other words he can bring us out to the woods with hardly no money <laughs> sort of torture us and uh and play with us yeah. you know and uh and know that we won't complain and that we'll be having the time of our lives which we did and right. uh you know we we drove up together from LA uh to uh actual Willow Creek which is the gateway to Bigfoot country wow. for those of your listeners who don't know the famous 1967 Patterson-Gimlin film footage was captured in Bluff Creek, California on October 20th, 1967, which is just a few miles from Willow Creek, which is the bigger town, which has the Bigfoot Museum and all the Bigfoot burger shops and all that stuff. It's where Roger Patterson and Bill Gimlin brought that film right to the China Flats Bigfoot Museum to Al Hodgson. Um, but anyway, so we drove oh, up shit. there. We drove up there and we got to know each other and we just sort of had a great time because Alexi was sort of skeptical and pragmatic. And I was like, Bigfoot, it's great. He's out there. And she's so we were pretty much our characters, you know, and I remember we we finally got there and we did one of our first scenes at the famed China Flats Museum. And they were in there with a camera. We didn't tell them we were shooting a movie or anything. We were just, you know, I'm holding the camera. We just look like a normal couple. And. Uh, I, uh, our producer, Amy, a, a customer came out and she goes, 
she goes, oh, can I, can you sign this disclosure? We're actually shooting a movie. And he goes, oh, that's what's happening. I thought those two were just married and having a gas in there, you know? So we had pulled it off, you know? Perfect. And, uh, you know, they didn't let us use a lot of footage from that, that museum. But, but I guess what I was getting at is like, we were having so much fun that we made our characters believable. And when you can invest in characters in a horror movie and like, oh, these are real yeah. people. And then the horror comes later, yeah. which it did in that, you know, later on in the movie, then, then, you know, you can feel sort of uh, conflicted when they get whatever Bigfoot does to them. I'm not sure. Well, you be the you, judge. You, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just a, a couple of things I'd love to point out is one, what makes I mean, you really care about the characters in the movie, because mm. like I have to say, you're, you're absolutely fantastic in that movie, because I, I'll say it's just as an actor myself, it is probably the hardest thing to do is to play hyper real. Oh man. Like you're an actual real person. Do you know what I'm saying? And so like that is, I think people are like, well, you're just acting like a normal person. It's like, yeah, when the camera's in your face and money is burning and you have to get this shot, it is so damn hard. Oh my gosh. Affectations on and, and like do a character. Like for me, at least I'm speaking myself, but like you fucking crushed that role dude <laughs> like, oh well thank so you man good. you know I, I i think all the look i gotta tell you, you know when, when i first got it it really came as like a 15 page synopsis so most of that is really just me and alexi playing and bobcat in the back of the truck with a blanket over his head going all right now talk about how much you hate california and how their sushi tastes like fruit and then he'd cover himself and we're like oh man you know california you know but it was it was so fun steve because i'm the cameraman too for most of this film like i'm most of those shots are mine. I'm holding the camera and, and, and I guess, no kidding. you know, he just, he just allowed such an environment of co-creativeness. In other words, he was like, say yeah. whatever you want, do whatever you want, you know, and just have fun. And he would throw out these great ideas he had in his mind, how the story was going to play out. So it, you know, God, we made that movie for just little to no money in about eight days. And if it wasn't for Bobcat, eight Goldfake, days? Yeah, if it wasn't for Bobcat Goldthwaite, it'd just be another, you know, a, a missed movie uh, about a camp of somebody in the woods, you know. But he, we captured Wait, something. You incredible. literally shot that in eight days. Oh my god, it was yeah, boom, like, boom, bang, bang. Oh my, like no pickup dates or anything. No, well, you know what we uh, we did have like one or two pickup dates because we had to shoot a raccoon because uh, Bobcat right. needed a uh, canary in the coal mine scene. But but for the most part, it was really <laughs> right, relatively right, right. like a 10 day shoot and little to no money in it. And it was one of the best memories and experiences of my life. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Still to this day, yeah, I, mean, like, I have, you know, like, I uh, have multiple. Oh, I was going to say, I have multiple Bigfoot group texts, which I, which it, that's a whole other story, but one of them is Bobcat and Alexi and Amy Pearson from Willow Creek. And, and we still talk to each other all to this day about, of course, all things Bigfoot. Does, you know, a, a quick question, and you may not know the exact answer to this, but like, I I love Big uh, Bobcat. I'm a huge fan. What is his her? What are his thoughts about the Bigfoot phenomenon? Oh man, I think he's I think he's deeply interested in people's experiences of this phenomenon. I I I I think he's pragmatically skeptical, as any person interested in this stuff should mm -hmm. be. But he thinks there's something should to be. it. As, as do I. I I you know, Bigfoot is so. Uh, to me, he's the number one cryptid because 
he's just so much fun. You know, he's such a gateway into this world yeah. of the strange, you know, and I was, I have to do a shout out right. just a couple of your past guests, Joshua, Joshua and, uh, and Eric Edelstein, Hell just yeah. such great guys. Joshua yeah. Cutchen, his books, where the footprints end, his great, great mind. And, um, you know, I care, I took those books with me on all those expeditions because, you know, he did such great work you know, researching all the strange connections to Bigfoot. It's, it basically gave me a precedence to like, you know, explore all these different elements that are, you know, um, uh, surround Bigfoot. That's strange. I call them the stranger aspects of Bigfootery that the, that, that, you know, most organizations like the BFRO leave aside, they're they're not interested in those parts of the encounter. No, no, not saying anything to them. They've done a great job, but I'm interested sure. in the strange, weird, yeah. paranormal stuff that goes along with Bigfoot. And I think people are too. Yeah. And I also think like, like I can, you know, to a certain respect, um, understand like the viewpoints or stance from a BFRO or MUFON, which would be the kind of comparison exactly. for UFOs. Yep. They, they, all, they historically have left out all the high strange aspects because their whole goal is to be taken seriously by the scientific community. And I guess I'm sort of assuming, which is a paradox, (laughs) which is a paradox. So you're leaving out data and and, you know, like, I mean, part of me is like, "Ah, I hear you, but like, I I feel like chasing after that scientific pat on the back is Mm. kind of a lost cause because if you're not in the academic scientific club, I don't think they're ever going to take you seriously. Like, I'm sorry. And maybe I'm just being uh, a little negative about that, but yeah, yeah, I I, I do. I do think um, there, I find it problematic when I've spoken to a couple people who are in the BFRO and they just, they don't want to hear about the weird stuff or they Mm. just leave it out. And you know, it's their website. They can do whatever they want with it. But yeah, I feel, I find the weird details are the ones we can kind of like find patterns with perhaps, or it leads me to question whether like, if there is a Bigfoot, if it is just a kind of missing link, flesh and blood thing, which it absolutely could be. I'm not throwing that out, but I feel like some of these weirder aspects, we need to pay attention to them as well. Most definitely. And people are pointing out these facts and experiencing these facts. And, you know, it's it, it it's these clues that we can't leave out that are going to help us get to the bottom of this phenomenon. Not that that's even possible, but I like the absurdities right. of, of this phenomenon because I can look at an absurdity of a Bigfoot encounter and I can say, oh, my God, that happened in a UFO encounter back on the East Coast in the 80s. The strangest yeah. thing happened there, too. And we, you start to get these strange little connections, which lead you to believe that, right. oh, my God, what if this stuff is all somehow related, you know? And and you really start to right. to latch on to this idea that, uh, you know, at least I do, that this, whatever is here, this ancient ancient sentience that has inhabited this planet, I believe, long before us, um, you know, is manifesting itself in different ways and communicating with us. I'm not sure why. Perhaps it's to tingle us, to push us forward. Uh, but it's communicating with us, right? And and we can't understand, understand it. So our poor human filters sees like strange Italian looking space knots in a spacecraft cooking up pancakes. You know, that's how we perceive it because our, our brain goes, does not compute, does not compute. And it's throwing out images that maybe we can possibly understand. Um, so I, you know, I think that, uh, 
I think, you know, and, and I'm sure a lot of like actual researchers and I'm, you know, feel it's lazy to just throw it all together and say, you know, hey, it's just one big thing. And and maybe it is. But but, yeah, you know, I, hear, I go yeah. where the da- I go where the data leads me. And, 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 and I'll tell you what. Right. Uh, the data kind of leads there. Right. Now, this is something that just popped into my head. And I feel like you have a better handle on the histo- historical aspects of Bigfoot reports. <laughs> Has, you know, because I like, you know, I guess using UFOs again to compare it to UFOs, like how they make themselves appear Mm. has just changed throughout, you know, thousands of years. It was, you know, lights in the sky, flying shields, dirigibles, flying saucers, triangles, oars, dirigibles, Tic Tacs, you name it. I mean, like the shapes are constantly changing. Mm. Now with Bigfoot, I wonder, because, like, sometimes when I go back to, like, you know, uh, Timothy Renner's, like, cases in the 1800s in the Pennsylvania, Ohio area, and even in Nebraska, some of the early reports I've found, they describe the Bigfoot-like creature a little smaller. It's, like, six-foot-tall, covered in fur, wiry, sometimes wearing, like, uh, flannel. Like, so are we actually – do you – have you noticed – I mean, like, this – Maybe it is a difficult question. You need to research more. But have you noticed the appearance of Bigfoot changing over the last hundred years? Steve, it's an incredible observation that you just made. And absolutely. (laughs) I posit this, right? We've seen the UFO alien phenomena develop over time and change forms. I posit so has Bigfoot. Yes, in the 1800s, we got all kinds of reports of like gorilla, like small chimpanzee escaped, human looking. And then it morphs into sort of this man of the wild woods. And then in the, you know, in in 67, when they capture that film, it explodes into the public conscious as this upright, walking, hairy, half man, half ape, uh, sentient creature of the woods. And from there, it just sort of stayed that way for the next 40 years until, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get a lot of reports of a dog man, a sheep squatch, a bat squatch, uh, a bat squatch. Yes, yes, goat man. So yes, this upright walking cryptid is is evolving as well. It's shape, it's manip, it's shape shifting as well, and it's morphing. It's morphing its presentation for us as well to keep us engaged, to keep us interested, to keep up with the times. Uh, so yeah, yes. Bigfoot is changing as well. You know, I right? often I think. Mean, because the, the... Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, please. I'm sorry. Please, please, please. You know, I often think no, that like, you God know, so no. many people say we know, well, well, I want Bigfoot. I want Bigfoot on a lab table. And you know what I say? Well, we don't have an alien gray on a lab table. Well, we do, but it's a faked one. Uh, but look how, look how we're taking <laughs> UFOs and UAPs today, right? We're taking it seriously. And, and yet we don't have a body on a lab table there. Uh, so maybe, yep. maybe soon we can make that same jump with Bigfoot that we won't need a body on a lab table to go, Hey, there's a phenomena here leaving a whole shit ton of evidence. Yeah. And a ton of witnesses. Mm. More I mean, so than maybe, any other cryptid problem. Is, yeah, I, w- I would say so. At least as far as I know. And, and you're yeah. so, you, you brought up such a great point about how now, cryptozoology and cryptids in general have really been morphing because like if you you know if you look into these circles like we do you've noticed that dog man is kind of the cryptid du jour Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know 
lately. Yeah. Even yeah. in even in Nebraska, there's like four there's like four Dogman sightings that I found in like and but it's like I wasn't hearing about Dogman ten or fifteen years ago. No, nope. Nope. So it's, it's a, it's a new phenomena and it's, and it's evolving and, uh, and, and there's interesting peculiarities with it too. Like the dog man are more nefarious, more dangerous, more, more apt to kill you, yeah. you know, <laughs> which is like, Oh my God. You know, yes. I love Bigfoot. Cause he's like, Hey man, yeah. I'm chill. I'm chill in the woods. Come try and find me. You know, dog man's yeah. out to get your ass, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like Bigfoot's more of a forest hippie, you know, they can right, go along right. with it. It has some like weirdness around it. He's more yeah. psychedelic, a psychedelic buddy, right. you know, like. <laughs> right. Totally. I get down with that. I'm not sure about that dog, man. <laughs> yeah. No, me either, man. Me either. That's, uh, that is so deeply fascinating to me. I'm a, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go all over the place. I w- I'm going to circle back to what we were just talking about, but. Great. There's just a couple questions that I personally want to know. You know, we're both from the acting world and, you know, I, I noticed that like, you know, and I'm on my show, I have some actors, comedians on as well, but like, like you've had quite a few um, industry people on your show and I'm just, and I've listened to a lot of them, but I just want to, I want to hear your kind of general thought. What would you say is the percentage of people who are into this, think there might be something to entertain these thoughts? And then how many people are, I guess, are like total skeptics, like, nah, get out of mm, town. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. You and, know? And, and I'm not talking about, and, and I, I guess, you know, and I, I guess I'm not talking about anything specific. I guess I'm talking about like high strangers, the paranormal in general. No, totally. I think, you know, this was one of the surprising things I think that we found out after having done the podcast now for going on six years is that the paranormal seems to touch everybody's life. It's like cancer in a strange way. If, if you don't have it, you know somebody who does. In other words, you know, if you don't yeah. have your own individual ghost story, I bet you know somebody who does and you believe them. You know, I, I, was, a sh- I was shocked at the amount of stories that, that people had about their family, about experiences they've had, their brother, their sister, their mother, their uncle. You know what I mean? Strange, paranormal happenings. So right. this stuff is going on so much more than we even realized. You know, uh, you know, in London, they did a research recently where they found that actually almost 50% of people reported having some type of mystical experiences. 50%. The, the, that's staggering. That's and so, you know, I think yeah. people are starting to realize like, holy shit, this stuff's going on all the time, everywhere, to everyone. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, Stanton Friedman used to do something at his UFO lectures. He used to go, how many people here have seen a UFO? And everybody'd raise their hand and he goes, okay, how many people here have reported that UFO? And all the hands drop and maybe 10 of them stay up, you know? So our reportable data really only represents 10% maybe of, of the case load. If, if, yeah. 10% of the caseload. So that's 90% of cases that we know nothing about. Uh, How strange are those cases that people don't even want to fucking talk about them? (laughs) Yeah, right, right. No, I mean, you're you're so right. And I have to even think to myself, like if I had some kind of like confirmational experience, be it a ghost, UFO, Bigfoot, whatever, 
I'm not so sure I'd report it. I feel like, no. you know, it's personal. I'd probably tell some uh, fellow weirdos. I'd, I'd tell you. I'd call you up and they'll like, oh, Bryce, you have five minutes. I'm going to tell you something I saw. I'm like, like, you know, yeah, yes. Yes. Steve, what did you see? <laughs> <laughs> and I know you'd be a sympathetic ear. But like, I don't think I would actually, one, because I'm lazy, but I don't think I would actually go onto the MUFON website, fill out mm. the report paper, you know, wait for a call. And like, I, I would just probably keep it to myself and a few other people. Yeah. Well, because I, I, I guess I wouldn't see the point, the point in sharing it. I, I don't yeah. want attention for it, you know, like, well, and you have so. to digest those, those types of experiences, you know, those, sit, those experiences sit with you. And, um, yeah. you know, uh, I was going to say, uh, oh, I, I, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, uh, about reporting and stuff. Oh, well, I lost the thought. That's okay. Um, That's okay. That happens. That happens. (laughs) Well, let let me, let let me, let me just kind of follow up with another question kind of in in that, that zone. Uh, So like, you know, like I've always, I'm fairly single note. I I do love to read a lot. And mostly the books I've read throughout my life have been uh, UFO books and books about the paranormal and stuff like that. But for the longest time, probably for the first 15 years I was working in L.A. as an actor, I would read those books in my trailer. But then when we you know, go to a location and we were sitting around like outside in front of people, mm. I would not bring those books around. Oh, because yes. I, and I, yes. I, kept, I kept my interests pretty secret unless you were – I was, you know, not with my friends. Yeah. But like I did feel a stigma I because I would like I mention UFOs or maybe mm-hmm. someone would see a book and – I, I did feel like people think I'm a crazy, like, conspiracy theorist or, like, you know, total weirdo. Don't hire that guy. He believes in UFOs. Right. And and then, like, I think, you know, like, you know, like a few years ago, I just, like, maybe didn't care. Or the climate had changed enough where I didn't feel, like, nervous and that was going to hurt mm. my career being associated with this stuff. Yeah. Have, have you noticed that change or are you kind of always just like, whatever, man, I'm, I read what I want? Yeah. Great. It's, yeah. It, I love that. And I do remember what I wanted to say. And it, it goes right along with that. Mm. Yes, because um, I think there comes a point where you're like, uh, I used to always be called, God, Bryce, you're so weird. <laughs> and I would just be like, and, and, and then <laughs> I remember a long time ago, just being like, thanks. You know, like I, 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 yeah. I sort of like I, I took ownership of like not being normal. And I and I and, and so I love this community that the paranormal provides because we're all just a bunch of weirdos trying to figure it out. And, you know, yeah. it's funny enough to your point, Steve, it, you know, when I found found Michael McMillan of BCC podcast, you know, we we were like, oh, my God, here's a brother in arms I can talk to about this stuff because I don't yeah. talk to my wife about it. I don't talk to my kids about it. I don't talk to my friends about it. I don't talk to uh, hardly mm-hmm. anybody about it. So having Michael yeah. in that podcast and this community like you and all these other great people whom yeah. I respect and admire, it's like we've opened up this, this place where we can talk about these experiences. We can be inclusive and say, what did you experience? What do you think's going on? I don't know, because your opinion is just as valid as mine. And, and, you know, and so there, we create this community and, and I think that's so important. And I was going to say, you know, there's, there's a misnomer to the eyewitness, you know, and you were talking about it a little bit. And I think it surprises a lot of people. I think people think, oh, I want to come forward and get famous and get money and get in the paper. And, you know, 
that represents 0.05% right. of actual people. Every witness I've ever spoken Agreed. to, and I've spoken with, to quite a few now, uh, they're, they're reluctant to talk to me. And if, if it's a genuine encounter, they relive a, a traumatic experience, which a psychoanalyst would tell you is an authentic thing that happened to them. Whether it happened or not, psychologically, it's an authentic experience because they're reliving it. So they're going through this trauma. Uh, sometimes it's the first time they've ever spoken about it in 50 years. You know, they've never told their family. So they, there's no money to be. And, I, and, and they're like, OK, Bryce, I'm glad I told you. Can I get that check now? And I go, oh. There's no check. Thanks for talking to me. I appreciate your story. You know, um, I'll see what I can do with it, you know, and, and that's the thing. They don't make money and they don't get they don't get famous. And so a lot of these yeah. witnesses are very hesitant. Uh, but I love the witness who's like, fuck it. I'm going to die soon. I'm ready to tell my story. Yeah. You know, and I love that. And, and, you know? and you do find that I like I just interviewed uh, two 70 year old gentlemen who had a Bigfoot and or no, I'm sorry. I very dramatic UFO encounter in the mm. early eighties. And they said that kind of what you were saying, like they did not talk about it until the last couple of years. And now they're yeah. like, I don't care. I'm gonna, I could die any day. <laughs> yeah. like, and they're, that's the, they, they, they kept saying like, look, I could die tomorrow. Like, I don't care. This stuff seems interesting to you. So I might as well tell it. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, thank you. But like, yeah. It, it, one thing I wanted to ask you, because it, it's, it's rare that I meet someone that has probably heard I mean, like, I, I don't think I have no know anyone who have a friend who has had more Bigfoot stories, re, you know, told to them than you. And I, I, a question I have is that: Are there any kind of patterns aside from seeing the Bigfoot that you've been able to extract out of these stories, or is there is there like a hallmark or a telltale sign that that to you kind of makes the story feel like interesting or legitimate? Like, not that you're judging every story based, you know, based on the merit of the person, but like, is there something about the stories where it kind of pricks your ears up and you're like, hmm, now I think I, I believe that he believes or she believes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's markers I look for. I love testimony from uh, from woodsmen, hunters, loggers, because they've grown up mm -hmm. in the woods. So you can already eliminate misidentification of, of wildlife. You know, this person looking right. down the scope of their rifle is going to know what a black bear is uh, versus yeah. uh, something that has a human like face. So when I hear a hunter who's grown up in the woods hunting and who tells me he's looking down the barrel of a scope and he sees this thing that he wants to pull the trigger on because he feels his life is threatened, but he can't pull the trigger because the face on this fucking thing looks human. And if I pull the trigger, am I killing a man? What is happening? Um, and so that's a marker of like, okay, it's the same way when, when you get like a law enforcement officer who sees a UFO, these are trained observers, you know? So a person right. who's familiar with their environment, I love that right now. I love what you asked because you're asking like, how can someone have a Bigfoot encounter? What makes, and as I've thought about that. And, and so Bigfoot to me is a representation of something very spiritual and symbiotic with, with the natural environment. So right. I think people who have Bigfoot encounters uh, hold a place of spirituality in their heart. I think, uh, I think they're open-minded to, uh, or they've experienced some type of trauma in their lives and they're ready for a transformational experience. Um, right. 
But other than that, I'm not sure. Bigfoot encounters happen to all yeah. different kinds of people on every continent, right. in every state of the union, except for Hawaii. Uh, it happens all over the globe. It's happened for hundreds, if not thousands of years, uh, going back way before printed media. So uh, it's a phenomenon, whether it's a real creature or not, it's a phenomenon. And uh, and, and, and I want to yeah. get to the bottom of it, you know. Right, right. I, I, you know, like it, it is because like, and it's something I wonder, and let me, I want to ask this just, you know, a thought experiment, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, for example, like in Ohio, where the salt, there is an area called the Salt Fork. And I think it's a state park or a national mm-hmm. park. I can't remember yeah. which. But it is kind of the zone where I know a lot of people probably don't, you know, you think of Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest, but Ohio, oh, yeah. I think is like number three. In terms the Ohio of, like, Grassman. The yes, they, ha- they have an Ohio There's Bigfoot so conference right there in Salt Fork. Yeah. So that's a very Dude, active yes. place. And, and right. And so they just announced... And, and look, they're doing this to our um, precious lands all over the country. But, like, in the Salt Fork, they are, go- are about ready to do a big fracking mm. uh, fracking situation. Oh, wow. And, and I kind of wonder, as as we're encroaching upon uh, yep. the forest and the natural lands, do, I mean, and obviously, I'm just, this is an educated guess. Do you think we're going to see more of Bigfoot since we're, there's less places for it to hide if it, if it is flesh and blood or are we do you think we'll see less Bigfoot mm, you know I I, I I think we'll see more Bigfoot you know I think we'll always continue to see Bigfoot even as he morphs alongside and you know you can sort of add this to the to the theory that we were working on that Bigfoot does sort of change along with us because you know and I, to the point of the Ohio grass man and the Florida skunk mm-hmm. ape and the Texas yes. Bigfoot it's like when I started to see all these or hear about all these subspecies of Bigfoot, I went, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're having a hard time finding the big guy in the Pacific Northwest. And now you want me to look for skunk ape and the Ohio grass man. And there can't be all these subspecies of unconfirmed apes roaming the woods. It just doesn't, you know, as Terrence McKenna would say, well, it passes the limit case of credulity, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense. You know, so, so that's when you, yeah, so that's when you have to start going, okay, something more strange is actually taking place. Mm hmm. I mean, that, that's, you know, like I, I, uh, I spoke at a uh, cryptid convention this summer and I was specifically just talking about Nebraska stuff. And there was so many people who came up to me afterwards, like Bigfoot in Nebraska, Mm. like there's no, hardly any forest. And I'm like, that's kind of my point of my whole thing is that there is, I mean, like on BFRO, there's like, I think 16, 15, 16 confirmed Bigfoot reports. Yeah. But if you start like, you know, talking to people and going through old newspapers, there's way more than that. And what the hell is, would Bigfoot be doing in cornfields along the Missouri river? You know, like, I mean, like it doesn't seem like the habitat people think of when they think of Bigfoot yet. I mean, there he, she is, you know? So, I mean, like that, and that, that to me, you know, there's like, uh, there's a local researcher who I've been talking to named Richard and he, he really is pretty hardline flesh and blood. He's like, well, they traveled through a car system and, you know, they follow the river all the way from the Pacific, from Canada. I'm like, all right, maybe, but like, I feel like 
that feels like a bigger stretch to me than, than yeah. I, I mean, like, it's, I, I guess, and obviously, like, what do I know? But, like, it, it is, I think that's when you, it kind of, like, puts another little check mark in the box of Bigfoot being weird, not yeah. just uh, well, animal. And, well, and this is why I look, I like to look uh, across the platforms of UFOs and cryptids and ghosts because a, a UFO craft leaves imprints on its, on its landing gears into the soil, just like yes. Bigfoot's foot leaves a footprint into the soil. So those are physical, uh, those are physical clues left behind, but yet we see the craft right. uh, lift off and then, and then dematerialize as it shoots off into space, right? So now you have both. Yes. You have, okay, this thing's yep. physical. It obviously has weight and density. It left these cool tripod craft marks in the ground. We're going to measure these. That's awesome. Right. Uh, nuts and bolts. Come on. And then, you know, you go Bigfoot and you go, hey, look at this footprint. I mean, it's 16 inches into this soil. Uh, we're going to cast this. Guys, flesh and blood, right? I might tell you. And, so, and, and so I'm saying yes and both. Yes, uh, it leaves physical yeah. evidence, uh, and it can also perhaps dematerialize or camouflage or, uh, you know, phase out or, or who knows, because people have witnessed and experienced that. Right. And, uh, and hey, we still don't have a body, so something must be going on. Right. Right, man. I mean, like, it, it's it's so interesting because I, I feel like, you know, even kind of going back to ghosts, I mean, like, ghost uh, investigators back in the day used to lay out talcum powder on the floor and right. they would catch ghost footprints. footprints. Yes. So, I mean, it's all sort of the same thing. And, you know, I, and I didn't make this up. I, I can't, I think Soraya Ascat uh, was the first person I heard this from. But, you know, he always talks about, like, look, if you see an orb of light in the sky, it's a UFO. If you see one traversing a forest, well, it's part of the forest spirits if you see it in your house it's a ghost right. so like there are these certain kind of like you know uh patterns and physical manifestations that you see consistently with mm. all this weird phenomenon mm. and I, yeah. i'm not trying to like you know convince people that they're all related because i'm not sure it is either but i feel like we can't throw that idea out you know yeah and it's kind no. of that john keel idea of like Look, these are various manifestations of the super spectrum or whatever. Yeah, totally. And look, you know, I think what guys like like you and I are doing is we're swinging the pendulum the other way. Yes, we're, we're yeah, maybe it's a little much to say. It's all related. It's all one thing. But I, I think we're just really trying to get right. away from the old paradigms of, no, it's this, not that. And so, you know, we'll bring that pendulum right. back to the middle and, and, and we'll open up a discourse between the UFO people and the Bigfoot people because before they weren't talking, but now they're talking and that's great, yes. you know? And so yeah. the pendulum can swing back to the middle and everybody can share like-minded stories, whether you saw a strange craft in the sky turn into a Delta wing and then uh, phase out or whether yes. you saw an upright walking cryptid holding his junior squatch on his back in the woods. Uh, you know, uh, we can, you know, now we can talk about both those things with the same veracity and honesty uh, that we would uh, about any other real encounter, you know? Uh, so I, I'm excited for the day that it gets right. there for Bigfoot because I know that people are having a blast talking about UFOs around the dinner table. I can't wait for him to start talking about old Patty. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, like, and, you know, and, and you know, yeah, like, I think, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of like Stan, Stan Gordon, who I really love, he's one mm. of my favorite researchers, and he's kind of an unsung hero in cryptozoology and 
you know, UFO, you know, UFOs. But he, you know, in 72 and 73, when southwestern Pennsylvania was having, I mean, just an immense amount of really weird UFO reports, landings, entities coming out. Mm. But also, there were so many Bigfoot uh, sightings. And then on top of it, there are some really compelling cases he reported of Bigfoot and UFOs in conjunction, seen in, yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you know, I mean, and, I'm and a... to me, like, I, I think for a long time, they re- people were really like down on stand, like, oh, okay, you're doing the, this all a disservice by making it too fantastical. But now I think I got, like, I don't even think a lot of people realize that Stan Gordon was talking about this stuff two decades ago and no yeah. one took him seriously. And now it's kind of become hip and in vogue to fuse these things together. But I just want to give a shout out to Stan Gordon because like that guy to me is like the OG of putting this kind of work out there. And these well, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's work like that that sort of allows us to have the precedence for Bigfoot interacting with UFOs. And then when we can find it in indigenous cultures as well, we can say, aha, now we have it over here. And now we have it over here. Bigfoot and UFOs are linked uh, in modern day era and, and past era as well. And so, Hey, that to me says, uh, maybe they're linked, uh, you know, so it's almost like this phenomenon yes. is, is screaming at us. Hey, look here, look here, look, look what I'm doing here. You know, like, right. so it's right. like, these, right. these are important right. archetypes for us. These, I, I, I can't overstate, uh, how important these archetypes are for us to meditate on the Bigfoot and the alien gray. They're there for us, for our contemplation. Uh, these are archetypes so deeply embedded into who we are uh, that they, with proper, you know, contemplation and meditation will carry us through to where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, you know, like Carl, Carl Jung had this idea because like at the end of his life, he was very interested in UFOs and he thought we we're witnessing a new mythology in the making happening yes. in real time. Yes. And he had this kind of, he had this concept that I, I probably have no business expounding on, but I'm going to do my best, but it's called the psychoid and mm. the psychoid to him. He, he, he thought UFOs were this mandala that was mostly immaterial, but can present itself as material. I E yeah. like leaving, tr- you know, marks yep. on the ground burns radiation, uh, it can burn people. People can touch the UFO, but it really comes from a place of immaterialism, which I, 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 I almost think that like, and I'm not saying this is what Bigfoot is, but I'm saying like, we should be open to maybe to the idea of Bigfoot being a psychoid like the UFO, maybe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that idea. And, and Jung had his finger on the pulse of this stuff. Absolutely. You know, uh, he wrote a book on the flying saucer and, and yes, he, he yep. felt that it, he felt that it represented, you know, this this spherical illuminated object represented uh, man's uh, wholeness and integration of the shadow, yeah. his complete self. This yeah. was this was man's ideological destiny to to fuse himself into this beautiful uh, transversing object, you know. And he goes, but there's a problem. And he goes, these things sometimes ha- are physical. And he goes. I can't explain yeah. that. I'll leave that to the scientists. <laughs> but 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 he right, recogni- right. he recognized that even this problem was almost too big for him to sort of like wrap his his ever so expanding brain around. He he recognized that this was going to be something we were going to tangle with for centuries to come. Yeah. 
Yes, I think he knew this was actually going to be a huge thing, whether it was real or not. Mm-hmm. It was going to have massive implications on the psyche of human beings for a long ass time. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is it is fascinating. I think I I I was I, you know I was like try to push people to read that book. It's not an easy read. It's kind of one of those books where you have to reread paragraphs because the way Young writes, it is dense and not yeah. the most flowery well, of language. It's pretty I offer, dry. Yeah, but, well, and, and like, you know, and I offer an alternative way to to go through some of that great informa- information. One thing I love about this paranormal thing, whatever it is, is it invites you to to, to read more. And God, I love that. But yes. but God, you know, and I've never read a Jung book all the way through. You know, I can I can get like short memes and 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 data crunches and on quotes and in podcasts yeah. and in listening to uh old talks about Jung. So there's great ways yep. to get all kinds of information without having to read a book. Reading a book is always the best because your imagination fills in yes. so many of the blanks. But but man, you can you can learn a lot about Jung just by listening. Just go to podcasts and go type in Jung, and and you'll have a heyday. So you know we have yep. access now to all this incredible data that we probably didn't have twenty years ago. And so, you know, it's a it's a cornucopia of information that we can just man. And if you're a guys like us who love this weird stuff, then it's like man, there's so much of it. There's no shortage. It's I remember. This we'll podcast, never get yeah, no, it never. I remember when we started. I was like, "Are we going to run out of cryptids to talk about?" And Michael's like, "No, no, there, no, don't worry about yeah. that." And I go, "Okay." And you know, yeah. six years later, I still have a potential uh, to do list for high strangeness. It's never ending. There's no, yeah. I mean, you'll. I mean, like, even if if you're running out of things to talk about, you're not. You're looking at it at a in a very like one note way because. Right. You can talk about UFOs in 500 different ways. There's so oh many different God. angles to take. Your mind is, and if you're doing it right, your mind is constantly changing. Yeah. You know, yeah. With, with like new information, I think, I think. Let me, I, I want to bring something up. And I, I, when I ask this question, it may sound like I'm doing a bit or it's like I'm trying to be a funny boy, but I'm not. Let's just say, for example, roll with me here, that we know Bigfoot is 100% real. We don't know what it is, but we know it's 100% real. That would lead, lead me to believe that uh, either the National Forest Service or park rangers or, uh, you know, uh, nature experts, that's not like really a thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like people sure. who study nature sure. or even yep. the federal government yep. would have a lot more data than you or I, right? Yeah. So do you ever think, I mean, this sounds so silly. I can't believe I'm saying this, but do you ever think there's going to be a time where people will push for like Bigfoot disclosure? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like in an actual serious way, you know, like, you know, like I, yeah. I, I, I know it's so different. I think because it's not a threat to our airspace, people don't maybe like feel it's as important, but yeah, it's, kind of important <laughs> through like yeah. in nine foot tall thing rolling around our woods. No, absolutely. You know, I, I did a whole subject on, on, on this, on the podcast about Bigfoot disclosure. And I think, you know, cause it yep. is funny because, because, um, first of all, I think to get to Bigfoot disclosure, you have to harbor the idea that the government somehow has information that they're withholding about this species or about this, about this phenomenon. And you know what, Steve, I would posit that they probably do. 
Um, if I'm, you know, if I'm an alphabet soup agency and I'm interested in the latest cutting edge technology for defense, and I'm hearing these stories, uh, that are coming out of the Pacific Northwest about this creature who can evade, uh, hunters, loggers, anybody who can possibly, uh, have the tech for camouflaging and, uh, telepathy. I'm going to be very interested in that technology. And, uh, you know, right. I, I think a case can be made that the DOD uh, has had an interest in this phenomenon and perhaps still does. So once I think right. the public gets a hold of that, then they're going to be sort of clamoring for a Bigfoot disclosure, too. Here's the problem, guys. Uh, <laughs> the government doesn't much know anything. I mean, they're very interested and they've spent a lot of money yeah. and they've got a lot of research, which tells them there's something to this stuff. But. Don't right. let anybody fool you when they tell you that the government knows what's going on. They have the craft to get us off planet, uh, that they are I'm harboring aliens. Bullshit, 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 bullshit. Uh, yep. Let that meter yep. go off. Uh, because here's a great barometer when it comes to the strange. Nobody, and I mean nobody, knows what's going on. Not Jacques Vallée, yep. not me, not the government, not John Keel. Uh, uh, not anybody. John so, Tenney is close. Tenney John is Tenney close. and Kuchin are close, but uh, <laughs> they may know international they may know. Yet, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's just it. So it, this it, this phenomenon wants you to engage with it, to bring your ideas to it, mm -hmm. because they're going to be just as valid as anyone else's. I love that. Oh my God. I love that so much. I, I, I could not agree with you more. I think the origin or what UFOs and a, a lot of this high strangeness represents is unknowable. And mm. I think that maybe that's the point. <laughs> and yes. it's, like, it's the mystery is the point, you know, well, it, it, yeah. it's, it's good to wonder about that. It affects art. It affects society. It affects technology. I mean, like, whether well, Steve, people like, even the, if you're into UFOs or not, it is have they have affected your life in a dramatic way. You know, so. there's no way of there's no way of knowing what they are because we don't know what we are. So how can we know what yeah. they are? We we are still trying to figure out where we came from, who we are, and where we're going. And until we figure that out, uh, good luck trying to figure out what everything else out there is happening. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I want to do another uh, experiment with you. Okay, Great. so in this scenario, my uh, recently deceased auntie has just left me 10.7 million bucks. Oh, God. And I want to take 8 million of those dollars yeah. and hire you as my general manager for my my Bigfoot research team. Oh my God, great. How, oh my God. How would you, how would you mm. right away utilize this $8 million to go to go endeavor to find out more information about. Oh my God. Oh, this is so great. Okay. Oh, we are, first of all, let's get the team together, man. Uh, it's time <laughs> yeah. to start getting the perfect team together, man. Yeah. And then, uh, okay. So, I feel like I bought my way on the team, but so yeah, you're on the so team. I, Steve. I definitely you're on the team. I, 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 I financed. <laughs> no, no, you're on the team. We're going to need, and, and here's the thing. We're going to need outside-of-the-box thinkers. We're going to need occultists. We're going to need witches. Yes. We're going to need a sorcerers. Yes. We're going to need anthropologists, <sighs> primatologists. We're going to need Graham Hancock. Uh, we're going to need, yep. we're gonna need uh, the greatest team. And then we're just going to uh, rent a cabin together for a month. 
We're going to hang in and we're yep. just going to delve into this stuff over campfire. And then, and then we are going to do a week worth of preparation. We're coming into the woods rituals. Uh, please make yes. communication with us. And then we all enter the woods at its darkest point individually. And, and hopefully we come back with a boon. Oh, and, and money's no object. Whatever tech you need, just give me a call and I'll write the check. This is great. See, I knew I hired the right general manager. This is wonderful. One stipulation, I would love to uh, make sure we were all eating very well. Oh, God. So oh, I'm the finest chef. Oh, yeah. No, I, I forgot <laughs> yeah. to mention that we'll each have our own sort of chef following us uh, with his oh, backpack of God. goodies. Yeah. No, you got to eat. Of course. Of course. I mean, my yeah. God. How, how yeah. are you going to bait Bigfoot with what? Apples? No, 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 no. <laughs> we, you, need, you need, you know, just the, the right thing. Yes. <laughs> well, I think, I think, you know what, you are ready to head up a team. I, I feel like, you know, when I, if I ever, you know, inherit this uh, imaginary $10.7 million, you're the dude I'm coming to. Oh my God, please. Okay. Bryce, we can't end this podcast without talking a little, a little bit about the Sioux City area. Mm, and when yes. I, was, I was on your show, I mentioned a flying airship case. In 1897, and I'm just going to read a very brief uh, synopsis to the listeners. Yeah. Very brief. So in 1897, a farmer named Robert Hibbard was hooked and dragged by a flying airship and then dropped on a hill. Supposedly, another farmer witnessed this entire thing. The article first appeared in the Saginaw, Michigan newspaper. This, I love this case. I've loved it for so long. uh, One, because it's, you know, less than two hours away from Omaha and it's yep. in your, you know, family stopping grounds. But you and I, when I was on your show, you had heard this rumor too, that the, the anchor is somewhere in a museum in Iowa. Yeah. Did, yeah. Did, didn't you, didn't you hear about that too? Yeah. I heard that it like got, lo- it got lodged into some like building or something. Right. And, and the rope broke attached to the dirigible. Yeah. So there was some yeah. sort of artifice left behind. I love this story because Here's a farmer working in his field and, and then lo and behold, lo and behold, this, this hook straps him up, I guess, and just starts dragging him yeah. across his, his cornfield. Uh, you know, this is, this is back when the day when, and, and I don't know if a, a lot of your listeners even realize, but there was a dirigible flap, like the likes that no yes. one had ever seen. Like people were seeing these oh, yeah, things was, in major was- cities. It was like, it was like, yep. and dirigibles are like these blimps, but they, they, they looked like, like sailing ships, like, like vessels. And they had yep. like, they had like, you know, people on board that would descend and ascend these ropes. And it was all so strange, yep. you know, but as we've talked about so morphing weird. phenomenon, you know, what's so different than an anchor off of a rope, picking up somebody and dragging them than a tractor beam, picking up a, a bovine or a cow or a human and taking them and putting them somewhere else. You know, it's just a different way to do the same thing, you know? Um, yes, so they've I always been picking like us that. up That's and amazing. dropping us off. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. They just use us and throw us out afterwards, you know, come on. <laughs> like, like we're, like we're their little prostitutes for an hour. Right. Like right. That. Right. At it, least buy me it, dinner. And you, you did bring, <laughs> <laughs> and you did bring up an interesting thing. Cause uh, you know, not to brag, but uh, Bryce in Omaha, Nebraska in 1897, 600 people witnessed a flying airship that looked like a cigar that had like a headlight at the front, 600 people. This is actually like, 
a really well documented one. The, the Omaha Historical Society has like a big write up. Wow. They have like the original papers and they've done like follow ups because it was actually a pretty big event. But you're so right. In 1890, 1897 and 98, all, especially in the Midwest, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, th- these things were being seen like every day. Like, mm. I mean, there's so many like cases of it, but I love the flying airship era. And another researcher, Zelia Edgar, who I'm a big fan of, pointed out that she did this great kind of a three-part series on the airship wave. But she was also saying that is the exact same time where people start reporting Bigfoot. In the mm, old newspapers. So strange. That same era was a really hot year for Bigfoot sightings in wild. old newspapers. And giant black cats. Yeah, that's so wild. So those same years were really hot years for cryptids, actually. Yeah. So there was something going on, almost like the 1972-73 flap that was happening all over the country. Yeah. But in 97 and 98 in the 1800s, it seems like there was another flap of high strangeness going around. Well, which, and... Oh, and- just and you probably delicious. love this too, like, you know, having roots in a place like that. You're like, oh, this is just Iowa, Nebraska. Nothing strange ever happens here. And we go, we beg to differ. You know, that's what's so great about this yes. is like, is like no matter where you live, look into the local f- phenomena that's taking place because you can engage with it. Every little town, every yeah. city, every place has a story where there's an energy building, you know, where there's where there's a yep. story being told. And you can add to that story story you know so uh i always right. if if, if keel left anything that that it was just like you know in, engage with this phenomenon uh because it'll engage back with you i think he felt it was a little bit more nefarious than it is in other yes, words i i think he felt sure, it was yeah. a little you know mischievous and malevolent but but i i i, I uh-huh. say no I, I say this phenomenon is here to engage you and yes it's scary and yes the stakes are high Yes, there's danger, yeah. but there has to be in order for you to break through that initiatory experience of it. Yeah, and I mean, look, every great adventure in life requires a little bit of danger. And, and, you know, am I putting my life in jeopardy? Like, mm-hmm. what I learned is it's going to, like, change my worldview too much. But adventure is, like, a key component of living, like, a fulfilling life, I think. Adventure yeah. and chasing mystery. 100%. And what better entree into this stuff than high strangeness? God, yeah. you, you know, and speaking of this area, you know, not getting too far away from Sioux City, like, across the Missouri River from Sioux City are uh, the Omaha Indian Reservation mm. and the Winnebago Reservation. And I'm, I think I talked about this a little bit on your podcast, but these two areas of like Eastern Nebraska have historically and still today, allegedly, I I obviously no proof of anything, are having a ton of Bigfoot activity. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and this is like, I mean, you could nearly throw a baseball over, you know, I mean, not really, but you know, like Sioux City is just across the river from these areas. Mm -hmm. And it seems like these areas... And this isn't just a recent thing, but they're reporting orbs of light happen so often that they're boring to them. But like Bigfoot coming on the reservation, hanging out by the Missouri River and flying wing humanoid cases. There was a pretty dramatic one in 2020. But like, I'm wondering, like, what is it about? I I always feel that rivers like in in terms of Nebraska, the most of the weird stuff definitely happens in the eastern side that I can find right along the Missouri River. But it seems like rivers are an attractor to weird stuff. 
Oh yeah, I mean yeah, water and 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 uh, seems to be an energy source, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I was gonna. Um, I forget what I was always gonna say. That's what's so great. I always forget what I was gonna say. But um, uh, oh, that's okay. This has been so much fun. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. Um, I think I do anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, this stuff has a really sort of a way of because um, I I want it to be practical. And what the paranormal does for me is, you know, I, I live a stressful life that can oftentimes be infused with anxiety and depression. And, and uh -huh. um, you know, the paranormal for me is, is a way to like infuse my life with wonderment and enchantment. And it offers this, it, it offers this sort of, um, I don't know, just this engagement with something larger than myself. And I'm not sure what it is, but it, it, it sure kind of yeah. lets me know that, uh, that, uh, you know, there's purpose behind whatever it is we're doing here. Right. It's not just to acquire stuff, you know, there's, there's, there, we're here for something, you know, something's, you know, we're here to yeah. do something, you know? And so, and I think, I yeah. think looking into this weird stuff it, it is a great sort of gateway to, uh, infuse your life with, with, with great spirituality, whatever that means to you, you know? Yep. Oh, my, my man, we are on the same page. We are very simpatico. It's like, to me, I've kind of uh, given up, you know, I think when I first got into this stuff, it's like, well, I'm going to learn so much about this stuff that I'm going to get closer to anyone of what this stuff actually is. That's, mm. you know, when you're a kid, you think like, oh, by the time I'm 30, we'll know what UFOs are. But now I'm convinced we'll never know as long as humans are here. But I'm okay with that because the mystery is what I'm chasing. Yeah. I'm, I'm an addict for mystery and good stories and weird yeah. stories. Well, and if that's yeah. all this stuff is, I'm fine with that too, because it is these stories and the, in the way, you know, high strangers makes you think it is a really great way to enrich your life. And like you said, kind of enchant your life. Yeah. So well, yeah, man, well, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, you don't want to solve it because once you eat, the appetite goes away, you know? And uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Bryce, before you leave, is will you tell people where we can find you? And if you have anything coming up that you uh, you want to want to chat about, please, please, please feel free. Yeah, of course. Well, you probably heard me mention our podcast, Bigfoot Collectors Club. Uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And like Steve said, he was a guest on the show. So you listeners of High Strangeness, that would be a great way to uh, to introduce yourself to our podcast is listen to Steve's. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, if you also heard us talking about Expedition Bigfoot. You can find that on Max and it's uh, streaming on Discovery Hell Plus yes. all four seasons. So you can check that out there. And uh and that's it, man. And uh, just thank you for having me on your show. I'm a big fan. I just, Dude. I love the way uh, you think. And I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of yours as well, Steve. So uh, when you get that 10 million, thank man, you so much. call me. Because <laughs> we're going to do this. I got to find a rich auntie. <laughs> yes, dude. Well, I just want to say to everyone listening, like, if you have not, I bet most of you have seen Willow Creek. But if you have not, I cannot tell you how much fun it is and genuinely terrifying in the third act but it is such a wonderful beautiful looking movie and bryce absolutely brings the high heat in it you knock him dead kid it, thank it's, you it's, man your performance is so damn great and i feel like as a fellow actor like i can't i can't stress enough how difficult it is to play convincingly real not like you're an actor, like in a kind of an indie movie playing it real, but you're actually convincing people you're doing it like a found footage movie and you do it better than anyone I've seen. So kudos to you. my oh, friend. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much.
Yeah. Uh, everyone, this has been Bryce Johnson, wonderfully gifted actor, wonderfully gifted thinker, and all-around wonderful dude. My man, thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure. Bryce, I want you to have a fantastic dinner tonight. Uh, thanks, Steve. I will, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, High Strange and audience. All right, everyone, the links to all Bryce's work will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great night. Peace. 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 Peace.